the Buffalo Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Monique Gordion, and the great news is you found the podcast, a space for stories that will arouse a smile and inspire us as we tap into our collective experiences. Enjoy. I have the pleasure of chatting with Care Beck today. I met Care recently at a Pecha Kucha event where he shared about his stunt rigging work on films like Mad Max, Fury Road, Casino Royale, Matrix. Hey, don't care. I've probably yeah, missed some, but <laughs> I'm good. I see you, you've did a film with Ron Howard this year. Is that correct? Yeah, so I worked with Ron on a film called 13 Lives, which was uh-huh. a, a, a story about the 13 boys or the, and the soccer coach that were stranded in the cave in Thailand. Oh, wow. Okay. Gee, that must have been an interesting job because was recreating that would have been quite dangerous, would it? Well, did you actually go down in the caves? Yeah, they, they built the caves as set pieces. Oh, okay. But they but the the set pieces were were built almost to replicate the exact scale of the cave that they were in. So it was it was pretty it was a fantastic sort of experience and a fantastic thing to watch them work and create these spaces that were, you know, when you're in there, you realize how claustrophobic something like that can be, especially when you're underwater. Oh well, what a good gig that was working with Ron Howard. That's yeah, amazing. He's an amazing human being. Yeah, I've seen him interviewed actually, and he seems so down to earth and authentic. And yeah, he is. He's he's fantastic. It's the only way you can describe him. Yeah. Wow. What a privilege for you to be on that. Mm. So, as everyone knows uh, who listens to the podcast, I have no idea what um, Care's going to, what story he's going to share today. But whatever it is, we're looking forward to hearing from it. So I'm going to throw to you, Care, for this. For your story. I started off uh, when I left school training as a horticulturalist and then I then uh, went on to study aboriculture, so tree surgery and tree climbing. Ah, um, so, I can you know, see the link sort of, there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I started, I got into, I went overseas to Pennsylvania in the States to study aboriculture back in the early 90s and, and then sort of from there went on a, you know, a 10-year journey of, climbing trees and, and mountains and rocks and mm. whatever else I could climb, you know, around the world all through the 90s, which then led me back to Western Australia where I grew up and, you know, I worked as an arborist there and then bumped into a friend actually that had just finished working on the first Matrix film and they were, it was an old school friend, so they were like, oh, I thought you were going to do stunts when you were at school because I, you know, I watched the old stunt shows growing up and you know all that as a kid and I and I thought, oh, this would be a good career for me. So I, I kind of got sidetracked for ten years climbing mm. trees and rocks and mountains and then mm. thought about it one afternoon. I was like, yeah, I should I should go and do that stunt thing. So I packed up my bags and moved from Perth to Queensland with my wife at the time and then we. Um, Landed in Queensland, and then you know, sort of a month later, I was working on Pitch Black with Vin Diesel. So that was oh. kind of yeah, so wow. just a quick transition from climbing trees into the film world. <laughs> wow, that's amazing! Uh, did you get that gig through your friend, or how did that happen? Uh, I mean, that's yeah, pretty- it was, you know, sort of one of those things where you, you know, a friend of a friend, and and uh, it actually came about because I 
got a job. My first job over here was to stick a hot air balloon, a crashed hot air balloon in a tree. And they had a, a contractor in to do the job, but then they turned around and said, oh, we can't do it, it's too hard. So somehow I got thrown into the mix and, you know, I thought I'll, I'll do this, you know, for uh, love and the money. And I, I got up there and I, you know, I remember the day I spent nearly nine hours in this tree sticking a, a humongous crashed hot air balloon into, a, into this thing. And then uh, from that day onwards, you know, I kind of was known as the guy that could climb stuff and then I just progressed really quickly into stunts and rigging, which at the time was, especially the rigging, was just starting to really take off in Western film because of the Matrix film and, you know, yeah. Chinese theatre and Chinese film. Mm. So, you know, yeah. Good, good timing for that sort of evolution. Yeah, I remember, I can't remember that name of that Chinese film, something Dragon. What is it? Captain ja- Tiger. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that had lots of sort of Matrix moves, didn't it? Like um, yeah. where they'd zoom through the air and... Oh, yeah. That was pretty fantastic, yeah. actually. Yeah. So that's interesting that the tree going from arborist to that film, the tree was the link, right? Yeah, I guess it was. You know, it was that you know having the having the climbing skills, but also mm. the rope skills to yeah translate into you know the stunt world. You know, it kind of came quite naturally. You're swinging branches around in trees, trying not to break gutters and tiles and letterboxes and then you stick a person on the end you're kind of doing the same thing yeah that's really interesting so um so you've worked on two matrix films i believe is that right uh, yeah i did uh matrix two and three mm-hmm. uh, back in the early 2000s and i just last year worked on matrix four oh, over okay. in san francisco so the latest matrix film matrix resurrections oh wow so has that I, has that come out in cinemas yet? Not yet. No, I think the trailer only dropped a week or so ago. And I guess Keanu Reeves is in that, is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keanu in it. Carrie Ann Moss is back in it. So the two main cast are in it, which is really cool. What about um, that Australian actor? Oh my God, I've forgotten his name. You know, he oh, was. Oh, I love him in those films. Is he in this one? No, he's not. No, oh. which is a pity because he's such a great character. Oh. I love the way he plays it so straight, you know, so yeah. hardly moves his face, yeah. you know. Yeah, he did a fantastic Smith. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Ah, wow. Is there something memorable from any? Oh, I remember you talking at Pecha about the Casino Royale with the the cranes. I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. share that. That kind of was pretty outrageous. That story. Yeah, I mean that they, they um that was Daniel Craig's first Bond, so they they wanted the opening sequence to that film to be sort of you know to be a great hook, to be memorable, to be spectacular. So you know going from uh, you know coming over from Queensland to the Bahamas and then being introduced to the opening sequence of a Bond film and what they were after was was quite a, you know, it was pretty special. It was, a, yeah. you know, it, it was one of those jobs for me that you're given the challenge to set up this type of rigging um, to get the result, obviously, to not hurt anybody and to, to make something that's, you know, cinemagraphically remem- you know, memorable is, 
is quite a challenge. So I just remember the whole time I was there, I actually enjoyed the job more when I left. Yeah. <laughs> so quite a lot. It's quite a lot on your plate to, you know, even though you're surrounded by a great team of yeah. people that all contribute massively to the outcome in the end, it's still a lot of pressure and a lot of stress to, to get something like that just spot on. Yeah. So how do you, like, I mean, you must have... Or maybe you must, that's not the right word. Do you have any doubts before you start a job? Could I do this? This is beyond me. Or are you just like, ah, just give it a go, kind of Aussie? Uh, I, I, um, no, I, I usually, I mean, before you know what you're going to do, mm. you, might have, you know, you sometimes have doubts because you don't know what you don't know yet. Mm. But until you read the script and digest what it is that they're after, mm. then usually, you know, my, my intuitive feeling is always, oh, I, I can do this, you know, no matter how hard something is, I'll always, I'll, I, I've kind of learned to just know that there's always a way to do something no matter what, even though you might not have the answer or the solution to what their, you know, what the supposed problem is or the challenge is, you, I always know that there is a solution so I never I never back down from anything you know I've yeah. never I've never doubted myself to be able to not do something because I've always thought there is a way to do this I've just got to wait for the idea to turn up that's more stressful <laughs> yeah that's right waiting for, waiting for the idea to turn up do you think that do you think that inner knowledge has mm. come through your years of climbing mountains, rock faces perhaps, arborist work. It's mm. sort of built in a, a memory. You know, they talk about muscle memory and how yeah. you can get drawn into that. Would that be? Yeah, I, you know, I reckon it's, it is, has got a lot to do with it because, you know, as, a, as an arborist, intuitively your survival mechanism, you know, for me was always a gut feeling. And I, you yeah. know, so I... You know, I always had this little saying, you know, I'll, I'll um, go on my intuition, but I'll take my brain with me to defend my ideas. Yes, yes. So, That's exactly uh, what I was thinking about when you were talking. Yes, it's the balance so, of thinking and intuition and gut. That's yeah, I think it's just you have a knowingness that something can be done, even though you might not know what it is. As long as you have a knowingness that it can be done, then as soon as you accept that then you know for me the ideas will come whether it's one o'clock in the morning or the day before or a week before or a month or or progressively over a period of time it'll evolve into something you know from nothing to something so it's you know I've always trusted that no I kind of just the more I let go trying to worry about the way something's going to get done mm. or where an idea is going to come from or where the resources will come from. I just mm. kind of, these days, I just, I'm kind of seasoned at just letting, letting it go, you know, and just go, don't worry about it. <laughs> it stresses more people out than it does me because a lot of people see it as a bit lax and yeah. maybe a bit, bit uh, you know, not, not caring enough for the work. But in, in actuality, for me, it's the process that I use of just let, don't worry about it, <laughs> you know. Just don't worry yeah. about it. And, yeah. you know, you'll get the answer and then there it is. Yeah, so that's that deep 
knowing that trust in yourself really, trust in your experience. That yeah. And that's a creative process, isn't it, that all artists, because that Pecha Kucha event that we went to um, was really really interesting for me hearing about architects and artists, painters, sculpturists in some of their processes um, in, in getting to where they were. And I think that's the same with all artists is that you just have to trust that the, the inspiration or the information is the ability to do what yeah. you need to do just yeah. will flow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that completely. You know, mm. and I guess, you know, my whole process of coming from the trees is, uh, you know, is that's, that was my sort of artistic learning ground is to follow your intuition and your gut feeling on, you know, when you're up a tree climbing, you only get one chance to do everything. And if you make a mistake, it, it's either detrimental to something on the ground or to yourself. So you, you learn mm. To, uh, to be, you know, to trust your gut feeling and to trust intuition and, and uh, you know, and then, then from that you do find creative ways to get yourself in and out of trouble and back out again and, and get, get results. A couple of things that I remember specifically from your talk that night were uh, with the, um, the Mad Max Fury Road, <laughs> the rigging you set up. Uh, maybe you could talk about that a little bit, but it had to be so precise because if you made a mistake, that would be really bad for the stunt performer. <laughs> maybe could you yeah. talk to that, or would that be something you'd like to yeah, share? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, when you when you're working in sort of those tight restraints, and and Mad Max was all on the road, so it, all of the rigging that we did, probably seventy percent of it was done. On the move, so the rigs have to be collectively attached to vehicles, mobile, and have limitations of how far performers could move or not move. And um, you know, and they, they, they were, they were, you know, everything was was finely rehearsed and tuned. Uh, but you know, there's no there's no givens and consistency really within that space because vehicles move, positions move, speeds change, yeah. surfaces change, the, the performer moods change, the timing can change. So it, it, you're dealing with, in, in that environment, uh, a system that statically can be you know, repetitively done time and time again until you know, the performer fatigues or something, you know, someone loses concentration, but in an environment where you can't afford to do things time and time again in that environment because you're dealing with, you know, an, an increasing chance of something obviously going wrong because there's so many things that can go wrong. So yeah. it, for me, it was, it was um, you know, George Miller was like, hey, we'd love to do things on the move, which I embraced fully because I'm up for the challenge of, of uh, you know, I don't want it to be easy. <laughs> I don't want it to be easy because then, then you're not, you're not frowning enough, you know, and, I, and I, I always think if I'm staring at the ground frowning, I'm challenged. Uh, and so, yeah. so for me, that was, a, that was the perfect environment for me to, you know, express creativity and find ways of doing things. And, mm. and you can let your brain run wild with the ideas, but at the end of the day, 
the the idea can be as grand and as massive as you can you know think it to be but what gets you what gets you by what gets you out of getting yourself in trouble is mm. um, knowing how to manage the risk that you create yeah. so if you if you come up with a monster of a of a stunt whether it be a car crash or a rigging evolution or sliding a dude on a motorbike under a moving semi-trailer truck or oh, whatever it is. my God. <laughs> it, it, you, you, you can think of those yeah. things and you can go, yeah, well, let's do this and then let's compound the situation by doing this and let's, let's do it. It's easy to, to do that and to compound something into near impossibility, but what brings it back to a doable reality is the way that you manage the beast that you create. So if you can manage the thing that you've thought of and have a knowingness of, of controlling the risk that you create, then, then it, once you get that in mind, once you understand, okay, I've created an animal that's potentially very dangerous, mm. but I know how to manage it. I know how to, to tame the risk to make it less risky but, and controllable within a certain amount of time, which means by only doing it two or three times or twice or once or whatever it is so so that you you rehearse it well enough, you can manage the risk, you can um, get it shot and then get out of there before something does, you know, the, the ever-increasing times you do something, you increase the risk of something going yeah. wrong. So in that world, it's the fine-tuning, the balance between all of those things that then give you, the, give you a happy, good gut feeling when you go into it knowing I'm going to do this twice, We've got it rehearsed. We know exactly what happens. The performer is on point. We can manage the risk. Everything's working. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and that's at the end of the day, the way, way it works. You must have to have some sort of engineering skills, right, to be setting up those. Like I remember that one that on, that you showed on uh, at Petch Kutcher was there was a rigging where a stunt person was hanging off the back of some big truck and had to leap, leap oh, yeah. backwards. Yeah. And below, yeah. sorry, I'm probably, maybe you should explain it better, but there was this, yeah, the, a vehicle with, soft, soft. Yeah. <laughs> a vehicle with yeah. all these spikes. And didn't you say yeah. that he had to land like centimetres? Yeah, a couple of, couple of hundred mil above them. Yeah, and the oh, spikes were steel. Originally the spikes were, were plastic uh, and, and painted as metal, but, when they took the vehicles out on the road with the wind and the vibration, they flapped around and, and moved about, which gave away the illusion that they're actually spikes. So they, actually, yeah. they cut them off and then redid them all with actual real steel spikes, oh. hundreds oh of God. them. So, so yeah, so when you, when you get introduced to something like that, and, I mean, that, that was a rigging evolution that I really pushed to do on the road and on the move because I just thought it was a, it was a great addition to the you know accompaniment to the film and uh so as you know I I, I don't have any I barely got through school oh, <laughs> I don't okay. have any math or physics or any of that sort of malarkey background but I I understand um I understand physics in a different way I you know from a real world practical mm. point of view I know that doing certain things will work and doing certain things won't work. And I, I understand the equipment that I use and, and I'm really good at calculating mm. uh, somehow. I've become really good at calculating forces and mass and energy and loads and the mm. physics of 
of the motion of a person on a wire. And I understand that, you know, when you generate certain forces, you need to back it up with equipment that can handle the loads and the forces that you're applying to the action to, to create the, you know, the, the result without anything compromising. So I think that, uh, I think a lot of that came from tree work where you're, you're dealing with, you know, sometimes you, you're dropping branches out of trees on ropes that, like, that weigh five, six, seven hundred, a thousand kilos. And if you, oh. if you make the mistake with the physics of the type of equipment you're, you're using, it's going to break. And then the thing falls on the floor and kills the mailbox or something, you know. So, so I, I guess, you know, in terms of calculating the physics of a rig, to me, it's just, you know, I can understand where the load's going. You know, it's like it's a mental picture. I can understand G-force and force and energy and, and mass and all that stuff. And then you just kind of calculate it all back to going, well, <laughs> I'm going to use a thicker rope. That's <laughs> the answer to that. That's you spoke about with Casino Royale because of the wind and different things. Can you talk to that? Because yeah, I found that yeah, really that, interesting. That rig was was um, Gary Powell, a stunt coordinator on the show, was was pretty determined to make the two jumps uh, one after another. So so they they wanted the performers to stand on one crane, jump from that crane to another crane to the building below, which was, I think, an evolution of a, a drop of about thirty plus, uh, no, or it may have been, yeah, 30 to 40 feet vertically and about the same distance horizontally. Mm. Um, so, so designing the rig in itself was a challenge to be able to, you know, get a, a performer to jump from one point to another with a landing mark that was precise enough to make them land safely, but then also to continue the move to a second point below that further and further across and further down. So... We'd rehearsed that and got it got it just perfect. But then on the day when we shot it, we weren't allowed to tether the cranes, these slewing cranes, because of the the occupational health and safe safety issues with tethering a moving instrument like a crane. If the wind picks up, they have to slew to the direction of the wind. Uh-huh. And uh, when they had the helicopter above the cranes to shoot it, the helicopter downdraft moved the cranes around quite dramatically, and we never oh. we never even thought about that it was just on the day that you know the performers up there going these cranes are getting buffeted by the wind and they're moving all over the place so you know that that then became on the day um you know it and and the performers had to do it to account so it was a five four three two one count so they they couldn't they couldn't get their timing and then make the jump themselves they had to go on a cue because of the filming yeah and uh and the position of the helicopter so you know, that then came down to the physical capability of the performer doing the stunt to, uh, to make the compensation in the distance between the cranes, you know, whether they were closer or further apart, apart or moving when they jumped. So, you know, and, and that, that's a huge, humongous part of the success of a stunt like that is the person that's performing it is ultimately at the end of the day, um, you know, responsible for the journey. We're, we're mm. a company journey by offering a line to decelerate his landing and make it comfortable. And if he fell, we would catch him. Mm. But at the end of the day, it was down to the performers to um, to make that judgment and you know use their skills to the max and get it right. Because <laughs> it's not only landing; you're landing on a very hard 
surface and it's not a flat surface is it it's like poles and stuff yeah (coughs) so that's pretty tricky yeah it's um it's super tricky i mean that's the that's kind of the the pointy end of it really for a a stunt performer that sort of stunt getting it it's not because we rigged it it's just because of the nature of the action you know that yeah the performer has to be um has to be exceptional and, and and they can't suffer the fog of war, which which some people do. You know, some people would stand up there and just look at it and just go, oh, I can't do that. Or on the day they, they make the count and then they, you know, like when a skydiver jumps out of an airplane, they, they get sensory overload and black out for a second. Oh. The stunt performer can't, you know, you can't have that type of, you know, event happen because for a, a a poofdeep to the second that you, you've made a mistake and that's that's how much time you don't have really so so the performer is got has got to be on point all the time the whole the whole journey jeez mm, <laughs> and you've been a stunt performer haven't you is that right yeah 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 what sort of work yeah. have you done or or you d- did you want to share that <laughs> everything yeah, yeah, everything <laughs> balls and you know, falling off stuff and riding yeah. horses and driving cars and crashing things and mm. falling off stuff and getting burnt and yeah, just the general stuff that a stunt person does. I guess well, the, glad the, not to be doing so much now. This may surprise you, but I did a, a corporate event and mm-hmm. where we were abseiling or jumping off a high surface, but I had a bad back. So I couldn't do that. So they said to me, would you like to be set on fire? And I went, yeah, I want to be set on fire. So I actually did that. You know, they put all the fire mm. retardant clothes on and the all that gear and um, set me on fire and I'm running around, you know, or not running fast, but and um, and then they, you know, I throw uh, fall to the ground and then they put all the blankets on top of me and, that was pretty exciting, I've got to say. Yeah, pretty, yeah, it was a pretty unique experience getting set on fire. Yeah, how lucky was I? I mean, yeah, I think I, I know. I think my, I was pretty proud of myself for doing that. I mean, that was pretty mm-hmm. brave, I thought. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hell of an experience to hear the, the wolf of the fuel going up on your back. Oh, my God. Yeah, and yeah. so now when I see films where people get set on fire, I mean, I was so protected because I had all the gear. But I see them, you know, and it appears that they're not wearing any of that gear. That's a highly skilled yeah. uh, thing to undertake. And you, you you have to know precisely exactly what you're doing. And, and that's, a, again, it's another thing that you can't suffer the fog of war once you're on fire because yeah. you have to you have to be reactionary to the flames, to the wind, yeah, and be conscious of the performance that you're doing for camera, and also timing when the burn is complete and where you, where your exit point is. So yeah, there's a lot. Mm. There's a lot going on when you're doing that sort of yeah. performance. So I don't know if what's what's the most dangerous thing you think you've actually or scary. Can you share anything that's been yeah. that scared the bejeebas out of you? <laughs> uh, I guess. Or, um, but you know what, doing burns for the first time is pretty intimidating. Mm. Um, doing a car crash for the first time is 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 pretty 
intimidating, you know, because you, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing to put yourself into a situation where you're actually deliberately going to crash something. So pro- probably cars, you know, because because it can be quite claustrophobic when you when you do car crashes because you could you can land upside down, you could land on your side, you could land in a position where you're trapped inside the vehicle. So there's, you know, if you're if you if you haven't got your wits about you, you can you can get yourself pretty in a bit of a tiz. So I guess you know all sorts of things can you know have different effects on you, like burns. You know, obviously you run the risk of breathing in fire and burning your lungs, which is not very good for you, no. or burning or just you know making the wrong move and, and pulling back into a flame which engulfs your face or your ears if your if your face and ears aren't protected yeah. enough. Mm. You know, a car crash can be pretty intimidating if you get it wrong or you hit it at the wrong speed. And so yeah, there's you know, doing doing usually doing things the first time is always a little bit intimidating. Then then after that you kind of go, oh yeah, I kind of get the hang of that. But that's you, you never become complacent or you never no. you never lose your nerves because you know you're still just body bones and flesh and and uh, subject to injury. <laughs> you know, I think that's something we can all learn actually because. Um, whenever we try something new, there's always that risk of failure or mm. humiliation or, I don't know, just a risk really. It could be very small or it could be big. Um, mm-hmm. But once we've done it once, it's yeah. like, ah, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, it builds is. up some sort of um, resilience, right? Yeah, I think so. And it's like, it's like anything in life if you... If you're setting out to do something new, you you know your your kind of mind puts you back into protection mode where you go, well, yeah. I don't know if I should do this, or I don't know if I should, you know, make take that chance. But you just got to believe in yourself, and and then ninety nine percent of the time you'll go, oh, I should have done that, I should have had a crack at that years ago, I should have, mm-hmm. you know. I think that that's usually that's what I found. You know, you have a go at something for the first time, and then you go. Or if you've been hesitant to try something and you try it, you go, I don't see what the big fuss was. And then you, usually life is always better afterwards. Oh my it's God. It's just that you That's hesitate so to do it because of uh, old habits and yeah. or whatever. There's something so joyous about putting yourself out there and having a mm. go. You know, this is the thing I've learned from you today is your amazing capacity to give it a go and to be able to access a calmness even when or this what is it looking at the ground of frowning and just you know being in the moment really (laughs) it sounds that that's been such a a good skill for you with your career pretty amazing Mm. yeah Yeah. Yeah. well I I just love that conversation today I love hearing your stories and yeah, really great. Have you got anything coming up that you want to share or or is COVID uh, yeah, sort of? Uh... Um, I've got, well, I, I finished 13 Lives a couple of months ago uh-huh. and then um, since then I, you know, and you know, I kind of I heard myself talking a couple of minutes ago about, you know, having a go at stuff and I'm kind of <laughs> like a bit of self, self-reassurance there because I, <laughs> I actually started writing a few years ago. I thought, you know what, if I... You know, I love the film industry and I love being creative. And I thought, look, you know, it's probably probably a good time I stepped up my own game. And I thought, well, I'll start writing 
screenplays. So I've been doing that. And um, yeah, because you've you know, written, new... you've written and directed in a film and and acted in it, right? Was it Driver? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah Driven. Oh, yeah, driven. So I did that a couple of years ago, and um, and that was that was a, a film that my son and I sort of dreamt up the idea, and then we wrote it, and and uh, we set out to to do it. So I directed that and produced it, and 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 acted in it as well, which was a you know a big thing to bite off at once but it, and we filmed it in winter and the damn thing was filmed in the water for nearly the whole shoot so oh you know, froze to death through <laughs> I said it was going to be a six-day shoot it took 19 days oh. in the end so uh, but you know so I get and then you know so I, I'm doing it again I've, I've just written uh, another short for or it's a medium I guess a, a mid-length feature called Hitched mm-hmm. which is a horror comedy Oh. So um, we're shooting that in November. So yeah. Oh, that's exciting. So there again, filling my days up with stress about realising I need props and I need this and I need that and I need to find all the right people to help me with another one. <laughs> oh, well. I've forgotten the memory. Well, I should be good. What is it? Um, Call and They Will Come, you know, that film? about the. Oh, yes, yes. They will turn up. Yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's. I mean, you know, that's synchronicity and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah. all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the okay. Buffalo podcast. So enjoyed our chat yeah. and and having you know really having a chat with you. And so everyone, thank you for listening to the the Buffalo podcast again and. Everyone's story is important. And if you want to come and share your story, then please just DM me on Instagram, Buffalo Podcast, and uh, and we can have a chat. So thanks, care, and bye-bye, everyone. Take care, live well, live in joy. Ciao. Cheers, Monique.